The following is a presentation by The Tabernacle, a community of changed lives. For more information regarding service times, or if you would like to make a donation to The Tabernacle, you can do so by visiting our website at www.thetabchurch.com. Jesus said that the harvest is plentiful, the harvest of souls. But he said the workers are few. And the one prayer request that I see in all of Scripture that Jesus gave, he said, ask the Lord of the harvest to send more workers into the harvest field. He said, man, I just need workers. Translation, I just need dominoes who will suit up and show up and be a part of multiplying and making disciples. Think about your own journey. Think about your own story. Who did God use? What did he use? We all have these individual stories, but our testimonies trace back... If you start from the cross and trace back to when you were as far away from God as you could possibly be, it seems that God uses ordinary men and women at different places in our journey. Uh, we're the Tabachkins. I'm Kevin Tabachka. This is my wife, Gretchen. And uh, <laughs> we, have, we have two children, uh, Alec and Jolie. It's great to see the historical building being reused, repurposed, and bringing love back into the community. The possibilities are really endless with, with this size building in this location. I do not need safety as much as I I'm Vivian Kessler, I'm Larry's wife. I'm Larry Kessler. I keep coming back because, you know, we, we just we want to come someplace where we um, hear the truth about the Bible. And we're finding that, you know, this is just a great, um, great church, and we're hearing a lot of um, truth, and um, the doctrine is um, really right on, and we love the pastors and um, everybody involved. Well, I think uh, the completion of the building will then uh, be a great house. Uh, it's a very inviting place, and it's easy, easy to find. And then it'll be just home, you know, like going to your own home. So when God called the tabernacle to Manistee, he has shown up in many ways. He's provided people that were skilled in some of the remodel projects that we had to do. He's brought in people that knew how to do the framing and flooring and redo joists on the main floor, welders, all sorts of people. We know that God is involved in this project in Manistee because he has provided so much. Just this summer, we had a anonymous donation of $100,000 that went towards the building project in Manistee. God is moving in Manistee, and we encourage you to be part of that moving process. We take great risks, but we do it because we're trusting God. We don't take risks for the sake of taking risks. We're a generous church. We, we like to practice giving ourselves away. We don't always do it perfectly, but we encourage people that are following Jesus, who are loving God, loving people, and make disciples to give themselves away in generosity. 
It's part of our invitation for you, if you're going to be a part of our church, to live a life as a domino, to be intentional about it. And then start telling the stories, sharing the stories. It's cool when you start seeing how connected we are and how God uses the ordinary to do the extraordinary. We're glad you're here. My name is John. I'm one of the pastors. And uh, one of the reasons we decided to show that video in our weekend services again is because this next week is the big give. You knew about the big give, correct? Okay, for the three of you that don't know about the big give, uh, we'll talk to you real briefly, is all of our offerings on all of our campuses that weekend are going to go to one big push. Uh, Well, actually, it's a two-pronged push, but primarily it's to finish uh, the building at our campus in Manistee. Um, There's a ton of work that's been done. There's actually money that's already come in, so there's progress already. The drywall's up. There's a ton of work that has been done, but there's a ton of work that still needs to be done, and that, a lot of that work's going to cost some money. So uh, we encourage you and have been encouraging you to set aside a sum. This is over and above your normal tithes and offerings, and if you don't feel like it, then just bring your normal tithes and offerings, and if you don't feel like doing that, well, then fine. Sorry about you. Uh, but uh, you do whatever God has called you to do, and uh, uh, that's next weekend. And I also remind you that on the Tuesday following Next weekend, that's uh, the big Facebook giving thing. So for those of you that want to double or nothing or double your however that works, uh, you can wait and click and do that. Uh, But that's uh, pretty exciting stuff. And so the goal is $150,000, but it's not just money that we need there. If you go on our app or on our website, you can look at the church calendar. We're having uh, these work weekends, these Saturdays and Friday nights that are set aside strictly to get the work done. And I want to tell you something. This is the worst possible time to try to sprint to the finish line. But you know how we are at the tabernacle. If people say it can't be done, we're like, okay, let's see if with God's help, we just can do it, right? So I want to encourage you to be a part of that. In fact, I've been told one of the biggest needs that we have is with electrical work. So if you're an electrician or know some stuff about that, our guitar player this weekend, Jeff, he's been heading that up. And I I, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, but Jeff gives a lot of hours to doing the electrical And he's playing guitar in the worship band. And so for those of you electricians that are still just hanging out out there, see Jeff. He'll put you to work. So now that I made you feel bad, uh, let's keep, uh, I don't mean to make you feel bad. Uh, The next thing that I want to point out, there's just two more things before we get going in in Mark, is uh, remember here in Buckley that in January we're planning to go to three services on Sunday. So we'll have a Saturday night and then three on Sunday where you need to make uh, some more room uh, for seats, and that's a good thing. Uh, but the problem is is we're going to need to staff that. So there's an opportunity for you to be a part of serving, and that's part of generosity as well, giving yourself away. Uh, there's hundreds of people on a weekend that make these services possible. So just with guest services, that's with the coffee, the parking lot teams, the ushers, Uh, the people at the hub, and a whole lot of other people that I never even see or even know exactly what they're doing, but I know what they're doing is incredibly important. We need 60 more people to join the guest services team, and with our children, we need 50 more people uh, by January. So uh, if God's been calling you to maybe step up, I just want to say I think so too, right? And so if uh, you're interested in that, um, and if you're wondering if you need to pray about it, um, you don't, okay? Okay. I've already checked with God, right? I've pulled this one before. I wonder if I should serve God's people in God's church or do nothing. Let me pray about it. Let me save you the time. 
and a stamp, right? Just go, yeah, right over. Last thing, as promised uh, on uh, social media, this dear lady in my driveway. <laughs> I just want to bring some clarity, okay? So I'd taken a little study break, uh, I think, I don't know, so earlier this week, and I'm coming home. And uh, we have a rather long driveway. It's more of an easement. You really can't see my house. And I'm not going to tell you where it is because I don't really want you to come over. But um, as I pulled into the driveway, I, I would, it was shock and awe. Uh, there was a vehicle and the car was open and I had interrupted a lady that was obviously in a difficult situation. And um, as she scurried her pants up, it was just this picture of sh- shock. It was just terror. Absolute mortification. True story, right? And uh, then it was, and then hopped back into her car. Obviously, she needed to go to the bathroom really bad. In my driveway. <laughs> That's an emergency. Are you with me? And so her vehicle's here, and I'm right behind, and there's only one way out. So I had to do the slow back out of my driveway to let the dear lady out, Right? And the entire time, she's working very hard not to make eye contact, and I don't blame her, right? And as she drove off, my favorite part was, because I, you know, it was a hand that just went toodaloo, <laughs> just kind of like that, right? So, yeah, that happened, and uh, I promised on social media that this would make it into a sermon, so here you go. Uh, I wanted to explain that, but th- there's also a couple of things as I've been thinking about that and processing this with my wife who is also a woman who's had five children, is number one, we understand the urgency. And so if, if, you know, that woman is listening, because there's a better than 50-50 chance she goes to the tabernacle. I'm just saying. (laughs) So started thinking about that. I wanted to say a couple things. Number one, I did not see your face and your identity is secure. That's between you and Jesus and whoever you decide to tell. So you're still welcome here. Please don't hide in shame. Number two, in my house, a house with Five women, we understand. We understand. And my wife wanted to give this and say, if you do need to use the restroom, please feel free to drive right up to our front door, knock on the door, and we'll give you some dignity and privacy. So does that make sense? But the sheer terror and the shock and awe, what it has to do with the sermon, I'm quite not sure. Um, But if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn uh, to Mark chapter 4, and we'll see if maybe there's something in here for us. So uh, we've been following the story of Jesus' life. And in Mark chapter 4, we're going to pick it up in verse 35. Now, this has been a long day of ministry for Jesus. In fact, the last three weekends, the last three sermons at the tabernacle have all been a part of one day, and here's the fourth. And they all have to do with these teachings, these parables, and, and, and not only that, but Jesus is also performing miracles, right? He's casting out demons. So the supernatural is happening, plus the power of his teaching is also happening. And then we come to the end of that day, and this is where we pick up just a short section as we close out chapter 4, starting in verse 35. The Gospel of Mark reads this way. It says, On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat just as he was. And other boats... So let's just pause right there for a second. So when it says that he was leaving the crowd, they took him with him in the boat just as he was, it gives us the impression that there was some urgency, that they didn't make any other preparations. He didn't go home and change clothes. He just said, let's go. And specifically, let's ditch the crowd. It's been a long day. 
Here we go. Verse 37. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke, and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? This is God's word. And this is a supernatural story. The scene, Jesus is ditching the crowds just as he is. He's hopping in a boat. It says in the book of Matthew that he actually ordered them to get a boat and ordered them into the boat to go across the water. Now, the Sea of Galilee, I've never been there, but from what I've been told and from what I've read, it's known for these vicious storms because there's high mountains nearby and it sits down really low and all of the weather stuff comes together and these vicious gale force winds will whip up to the point where you know, Jewish people, Hebrew people at the time, they were petrified of the Sea of Galilee, the storms. It's said that the sea would swallow people up. It would swallow boats whole. And we have this picture. It's not that way when they set out, but surely Jesus knows it's coming. He is God, right? And out on the water, Jesus is taking a nap. The wind whips up. The waves whip up. And Jesus is asleep. Now, I don't know about you, but I love this picture of our Lord Jesus. I love it. Because it demonstrates some things for us. Number one, it demonstrates his humanity. Jesus was tired. Jesus was tired. Now, God the Father, he doesn't take a nap. But God in flesh, fully God and fully man, he's exhausted. And it says he's asleep in the stern with his head on a cushion. And I just love that picture. Have you ever been wasted tired like that? Have you ever just poured yourself out so much you got nothing left? Or like me last night, if you swallowed a half a bottle of NyQuil and just... Yes, you can tell I got a little something, right? But our Lord is asleep in the stern and chaos is breaking loose across that boat and on the deck of that little ship. We don't know how big it was. Probably wasn't that big. But it does say that the waves are breaking over top and that it's actually starting to fill. So if that's what's happening, people are getting wet. Jesus is asleep. Now, what else do we know? We know these disciples. We know that they're most likely seasoned sailors, right? Because at least half of them are fishermen. They know what they're doing on a boat. They know how to handle a boat. Jesus is not a sailor. They're sailors. They're terrified. They're freaking out. They feel like they're going to die. So they wake the rabbi. And it's interesting. It says that when he awoke, I I don't know. Tim and I were talking about this. How 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 do you wake up out of a dead sleep? You ever get woken up out of a dead sleep by your spouse? You really want to know the state of a marriage. Right there it is. The response that you get, right? 
But they wake up the rabbi. And it says that he rebuked the wind. And he said to the sea. And it's interesting to me that prior stories in Mark, those are the words that are used to describe how Jesus spoke to demons. He would rebuke a demon and he would speak to them and tell them to be calm. So Jesus wakes up, rebukes the wind, tells the sea to be calm. And then he says to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? What are you freaking out about? Now, I'd like to think that this is like Jesus out of a dead sleep, a little ticked off, right? Stinking, stop it. Everybody calm down. Peace be still. What's the matter with you? No faith here? I mean, that would, that would be epic, but we know that he was probably way more, oh, right? But a rebuke ain't that. I'm sorry to disappoint you. He rebukes the wind. And he speaks to the sea and says, peace be still. Then he looks at the disciples and says, are you still fearful? You have no faith? Now, I also have to pause right here and point this out because we don't beat one story to death. But for some of us, we can't even comprehend this. You know, we just read that and we go, oh, yeah, and then later he walks on it. You know, he is God on earth and we move on. But you see, we know the rest of the story. The disciples didn't know the story yet. They didn't know how it was going to end. They didn't know about the cross and they didn't know about the tomb and they didn't know about the resurrection nor the ascension nor the Jesus that appeared and then disappeared, walked through walls but could still eat fish. They didn't know a lot about that stuff in Easter. We're getting there. But they didn't know. All they know, there's wind, there's waves. And all of a sudden he rebukes the wind and it stops and he says to the waves, peace be still. And immediately in the translation, it's a flat calm. Now, I've spent a little time on the ocean. When the wind picks up, the waves pick up soon after. And when the wind dies down, it takes a few minutes or a few hours for the waves to die down. To go from there was wind to there's nothing, now we're rowing, boys. From waves that are filling the boat to a flat calm, that's kind of a big deal. Would you agree? If you're a disciple in the boat with Jesus, you went from one minute thinking, we're going to die. There's no coast guard to call here on the Sea of Galilee. Last ditch effort, wake up the rabbi to this just got real. You see, all the other miracles were for everyone else. The healings, demons being cast out. This was their deal. This was up close and personal. Some of us are great at keeping Jesus at arm's length or change lives at arm's length. We bury ourselves in either ministering or serving in some way that it's always about, oh, those people far from God, right? And kind of comforting ourselves that we're in the inner circle. We're around the leadership. We're around Jesus. We're disciples. I was born and raised in the church, yada, yada, yada. What happens when it's your storm? It gets real, doesn't it? It gets real. And interestingly enough, if you look in verse 41, it says, and they were filled with great fear. 
Now, every time I read that story before, this is how it worked. They were freaked out. Then Jesus woke up, said, peace be still, and then gave them a little lecture about fear and faith. And that's important, right? Faith and fear are close cousins, right? But, but sometimes I can have faith and still have a little bit of fear. But Jesus says to them, you have, why, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? Is that the problem? What's the deal? But what if this story isn't about the storm and them being saved? What if this story isn't even really about faith and fear? What if what this story really is about is that verse, and they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Oh, they were afraid when they thought they were going to die. Let me tell you something. They were terrified when they realized that with words, Jesus calmed the wind and the waves. The same one who spoke the world into his, to existence is now speaking to his creation and saying, calm down, I'm trying to sleep. Sorry, I added that part. It just got real, didn't it? What happens when it really gets real for you? What happens when it really gets real for me? You see, they were more terrified, I think, after the calm, after the miracle than before. And definitely more than when they were in it. I think they were confronted. The one who's sleeping on the cushion, he's the one. No, not just the one, the one. You see, storms for all of us, they're coming. In fact, as I was thinking about this, no matter what service you come to on a weekend here at the Tabernacle, what, no matter if you're listening on a podcast, watching on a vodcast, here's the deal. Every single one of us, without fail, you're either in a storm, you're headed for a storm, or you're trying to get out of a storm. Would you agree? In life, you will have trouble, is what the scripture says. In life, you're going to sail through a storm. You're going to sail into a storm. There's no guarantee. If you're just trying out church for the first time, or you've been here a while, no one's ever said this to you. Just because you're a Christian and been baptized and you're trying to follow Jesus, it does not mean that everything is rainbows and unicorns. There's going to be storms. And if you're not in one, one's coming. And if you're not in one or headed for one, you're coming out of one. You're going to have storms in this life. And the fact of the matter is, is Jesus sends us into storms. God sends us into storms. Make no mistake, the sleeping Jesus knew the storm was coming. He knew it was coming. Well, then why did he send him into the boat? Well, what was Jesus' mission? Think about that for a minute. We can handle this. What was Jesus' mission? Well, obviously, Jesus' mission is to calm storms. No, it's not. But we think that, don't we? Not until I say it out loud. See, many of us, we, we want that Jesus, the Jesus that calms storms. But what if it's not about calming storms? I got a feeling if he didn't calm the storm, they'd have still gotten to the other side. I'm not saying it wasn't life-threatening. I don't know what would have happened. I mean, we can't play the what-if game. But what if, like I said, it's not about the storms. And, and what if it's not about Jesus came to earth to calm storms? I don't think that's why he came. 
But I do think that he knew that there was going to be this interaction in the boat. That's why he sent them into storms. Can I tell you something? It's hard to understand sometimes, and it's way above your pay grade and my pay grade both. I don't know why Jesus sends us into storms, but I know he's got a reason. I know he's got a plan. And I know he's the ultimate judo master and can take what the enemy means for evil and turn it into something good. But he sends us into storms sometimes. Sometimes the storms are of, of life are storms we bring on ourselves. No question. Sometimes it's our decision to go this direction when God's saying go this direction. But regardless, you're either in a storm, you're coming out of a storm, or you're headed for a storm. I was just thinking about storms and, you know, my wife and I, um, it was brought to our attention this week that it was this week, 15 years ago, that we moved to Michigan with no intention of staying very long. And it was in the middle of of a blizzard. It was the middle of a storm. And it was like almost, you know, a metaphor for what the next 15 years were going to be like. And I say that with a smile and great joy. With every successive thing that God called us to or brought us to or called our church to or brought our church into, there was a storm that was involved. There was a storm to, to meet in the gym. There was a storm that came when we decided that God had called us, when we determined, when we agreed, God is calling us to build a new building right here in northern Michigan, right here in Buckley. And we all committed to it and the board committed to it and the congregation committed to it. I remember saying to our church more than once, a storm is coming and some of us won't make it through this storm. Some of us won't make it through. Jesus sends us into storm. It's part of the refining process. Are we going to be ruled by fear? Are we going to be ruled by faith? But he knows it's coming. And my mind started to replay just in, in, in moving from T1 to T2 and moving from T2 to two sites, people who have come and then have gone. You see, sometimes storms will sink us, won't they? Sometimes storms sink us. They can sink our faith. That's the danger of storms. And, and we can choose in the middle of a storm to be fearful and faithless, or by faith, we can choose not to be ruled by fear. That's not easy. That's not easy when the storm has to do with your marriage. That's not easy when the storm has to do with a death. And that storm is not easy when it has to do with cancer. And that storm is not easy when it has to do with feeling betrayed. And that storm's not easy when friends you're trying to love, when they turn their backs on you, even though you're trying to help them. That storm's not easy when it's financial or your job. It doesn't matter how big the storm is. If you're in it, you feel it, don't you? But Jesus sends us into these storms. God allows us to go through these storms. And these storms are dangerous. But here's the point. I think this is the point for us right now. No matter where you're at, either in a storm, coming out of one, or headed for one, is this. Storms are where you meet God. Storms are where you meet God. Why were the disciples filled with fear? We're a church that believes there's no wasted words in Scripture, right? Right? We're a church that believes there's no waste of words in Scripture, right? So if it says they were filled with not just fear, but great fear, and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? 
And I started thinking about, and I started going back through stories in the Old Testament and the New. I'm thinking of the prophet Isaiah who had a vision of God. And when he saw God, when he realized God was in his boat, he said, woe to me, I am ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips. Remember John, when he had his vision of revelation in John chapter 1, he says, when he had this vision of God, he fell down like a dead man. All throughout scripture, we see Daniel, same thing happened to him. Ezekiel, same thing happened to him. I think of Job and the storm that God sent Job into. If you've never read the book of Job, that'll blow your mind. Here's a wealthy man, a family man, a righteous man, a church man, a religious man. And God and Satan start having a smack talk fest about Job. Well, you look it up. Have you considered my servant Job? Oh, he only follows you because you bless him. Okay, do whatever you want to him. Just don't touch him. And then he loses all of his family, all of his homes, all of his flocks, all of his... He loses everything within minutes. His wife says, curse God and die, Job. And he says, no, I'm not going to do that. His friends show up, curse God and die. Satan comes back to God and says, uh, it's because you didn't let me touch a hair on his head. He says, fine, do whatever you want to him, but don't kill him. He gets boils. He gets, he's in, I mean, it's just, he finds himself a bloody, pussy mess that no one can even touch him without causing pain. And his friends show up to just encourage him to curse God and die. And the rest of Job is this argument between him and his friends about, what did you do to bring this on? What did you do to bring this storm on? Surely this is unlucky. God must be really mad at you. And they ask all these questions and Job is questioning God. He's in the middle of a storm. And then there's that part at the end of Job where all of a sudden God speaks. Finally. He says, who is this who questions me? Brace yourself like a man and I will question you. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? And then he proceeds to ask him over a hundred questions that no human being or scientist or physicist could ever answer. And at the end, what does Job say? Before I knew about you, but now I have seen you and I repent in dust and ashes. It's the same terrifying face-to-face thing that the disciples felt in that boat when he said, peace, be still, and there was a flat calm. When with a word... From the rabbi, they realize he is the creator, the God of everything. And he's been in the boat in the middle of the storm in complete rest the whole time. Why are you so afraid? Don't you have any faith? Don't you have any faith? I'd love to think that maybe Jesus went back to sleep. Wouldn't that be the ultimate mic drop? Don't you have any faith? Give me that cushion. Storms are where you meet God. Storms are where you meet God face to face. Regardless of the outcome of the storm. Because sometimes the calm doesn't come, does it? Sometimes it feels like the storm goes on and on and on. But you can still meet God in that storm. What do I mean you meet God? It's interesting how the storms of life... They have a habit of refining our priorities, don't they? 
They help us figure out real quick what's most important. When the job's on the line, when the marriage is on the line, when the life is on the line, when the health is on the line, all of a sudden, what's most important to you, how we spend our day, the things that we talk about, well, they come real clear, don't they? But it's in those moments that we also find ourselves crying out to God. It was C.S. Lewis who said, it's, it's, in the, it's in the peaceful times that God whispers. This is my paraphrase. But it's in those times where God's using a megaphone. He's shouting to us. You know, I think of how many times I've been in a storm where my reaction is just like the disciples. It's freak out. It's panic attack. It's fetal position. Right? It's we got to figure all this out right now. Really? It's Sunday night. Calm down. And all it is is it's, it's, it's a storm and I've forgotten who's in the boat. That with Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, it's more that, it's not that he's in my boat, it's that I'm in his boat. And he's the one that spoke everything into existence. He's the one that knows what's on the other side of the lake. And by the way, it's not about my storm. I, I asked you, what was Jesus' mission on earth? His mission was to save souls. And if you come back next week, you're going to find out why he said to go across the lake. He has an appointment with a dude that's got a legion of demons in him and he needs to go set this man free. It's not about the storm at all. He needs to get across the water. He needs to take a little rest. He's not about calming the storm. He's about saving our souls. And sometimes it's awesome when he shows up and calms the storm. I like when that happens. Anybody with me? You like when he calms the storm? That'd, that'd be nice. Nothing wrong with waking him up and praying for that. But let's not forget that it's in those moments where we meet God. Where we meet God. One of the brothers at the fight club table that I lead said to me, he said, uh, he, said he heard it said one time, and I might be messing this up a little bit, but he said, you know, it's in those storms of life those vulnerable times where we look back and we see the most growth. Because that's when we're listening. Because that's when we're dependent. And dependent is a good place to be. Dependent on God. Where nothing else matters. I don't know what's on the other side. I don't know about this water. I don't know about this boat. But all I know is we're dying, Master. And that's when we cry out. And the storm is when we're undone. You know, I'm thinking right now of a little known character from the book of Judges, Manoah. Manoah was the father of Samson. And if you read the story of Manoah, the angel of the Lord appeared to him, not once, but twice. First time he didn't realize it was the angel of the Lord. It was the second time he realized it was the angel of the Lord. And this, the angel of the Lord was saying, you're going to have a son, you and your wife, even though you're barren, and he's going to be a judge, and he's going to be awesome, and he's going to save his people. And, and the second time he met with Manoah, Manoah realized this is the angel of the Lord, and he ran home and told his wife, I have seen the Lord, we are dead. He knew what the scripture said, that no one could see God and live. And I wonder sometimes if we as a church were more afraid of the storm than the one that created the weather. 
And if we would see in the middle of that storm that it's not all of this other stuff, it's about connecting with him, it's about meeting him, it's about having faith in him instead of fear. What if the storm you're headed into is a place where you could meet Jesus for real? What if the storm that you're headed into or you're in the middle of or coming out of, what if you look back and realize, that's where I met Jesus for real? You know, I wonder if from this point on, because they got another three years of walking around that lake with Jesus. You know, I wonder if there's times we're sitting around a campfire and, you know, Jesus is over asleep when one of them's like, hey, remember the boat? Whoa, that got real. See, those storms and the way he meets us in the storm, that steals us for the next one. That refines us for the next one. Storms are where you meet God. And it was Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, where Jesus reminded us this whole faith and fear thing and what happens when storms come. And the reason I bring this up is because so many times we spend all our time fearing. We fear about too much giving or too little giving. We're fearing about multi-siting or not multi-siting. We're fearing about the kids going to college or not going to college. We're fearing the kids going into the military or not, or it's living in our basement, right? We're fearing about the job. We're fearing about the next move and, and there's worry and the concern and we're ruled by fear instead of ruled by Jesus. Matthew 10 verse 28 He says, and do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. That's a perspective shifter, isn't it? We spend so much time fearing the physical world and we forget there's someone greater to fear. band is going to come and we're going to worship some more. And I'm wondering what God's saying to you. Are you in a storm? Are you headed for a storm? Are you coming out of a storm? What will be your response? We've heard God's word. How do we do God's word? And I wonder what if instead of being racked with fear, worry, concern, anxiety, whatever you want to call it, I wonder if instead of doing that, if we could picture the boat we're in. Oh, with the wind and the rain and the waves and the lightning and the we're about to die. What if we could image in our mind Jesus sleeping on a cushion? We're in the same boat and he's not afraid. Why am I afraid if he's not afraid? You think Jesus gets afraid? Why do I have fear if he has no fear? Whose boat is this, by the way? Oh, it's his. Whose life is this, by the way? Oh, it's his. And if his words mean anything in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, why am I so afraid of this physical realm? What's more important is the one who will judge not only the physical, but also the spiritual. Are we supposed to not fear at all? Absolutely, we're supposed to fear. Fear God alone. Everything else really doesn't matter. That's the hear and do. To fear Him. Would you bow your heads with me?
as we create a little space, what, what what is God saying to you? What storm are you in? If it's big to you, it's a big deal, and it's a big deal to him too. Is it possible that there could be calm in that storm? That you could find rest even before the wind and waves are silent? It only comes if you fear him more. God, I'm grateful for your word. And in a strange way, God, I'm grateful for storms. Because without them, sometimes it's really hard to see you in this comfortable, great land we live in. God, would you help me? Would you help us to see you there? God, would you help us to fear you and you alone? God, would you help us to find rest and operate in freedom that comes from knowing that you are in control? That we wouldn't just sing songs that talk about it being well with our soul. We wouldn't just quote scriptures that say, though he slay me, yet I will love him still. God, would you help us to live like that? God, would you help us to recognize how you show up in the middle of the storm to encourage us, to sustain us, to speak to us, to teach us, to refine us, and that we wouldn't flail about like terrified little children, but instead we would be ruled by faith and not fear. We would cling to you. We would rest in you. God, I pray if there's anyone here who doesn't know you, If they desire this rest, God, I pray that even today they would give their life to you. Becoming a Christian and finding that that's possible. And God, for those of us that have forgotten what it's like to be dependent, would you make us dependent again no matter what the cost is? Thank you, Lord, that you meet us, that you want to meet us, that you care enough to calm the seas, but you care more than enough to let us see you even when there is no calm. God, I ask all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. I love you. God bless you. We hope to see you next time.